as the story goes, we used to pick on him while he was a junior. Like a bunch of bullies. Like a, <laughs> like a bunch of high school bullies. Like a bunch of bullies. We picked on him. Uh, it was tough love. Tough love. Uh, <laughs> we called it the school of hard knocks. And it only lasted about a year and a half mm-hmm. until he was stronger than everyone. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Bing Slouches. Today on the couch, we have Coach Johnny Brown, something we've been uh, wanting to do for a long time, sit down with him and kind of take a deep dive. Uh, We'll be talking about his role with us, his coaching career, his professional career, all that good stuff. But first, I'm Coach Dale Sanford. I am Coach Bryant Funston. We are the co-founders of BPC Performance Coaching, where we specialize in helping time-crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com, checking us out on Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete, all up on that Instagram at Performance. And hit us up on any of your podcasts via Spotify, iTunes. Where are all the other ones at? All the good ones. All the good Only ones. Only the good ones. Yeah. So we uh, we have uh, known Johnny for a long time. Uh, as the story goes, we used to pick on him. While he was a junior. Like a bunch of bullies. Like a, <laughs> like a bunch of high school bullies. Like a bunch of bullies. We picked on him. Uh, it was tough love. Tough love. Uh, <laughs> we called it the school of hard knocks. And it only lasted about a year and a half mm-hmm. until he was stronger than everyone. We kept hoping he'd move away sooner. We're like, come on. <laughs> Someone pick him up. Let's get him out of here. But yeah, so we've, you know, it's, it's kind of a full circle moment for us, uh, having known him since he was, what, 13 years old. So um, yeah, so Johnny has come on as a coach uh, with us, which we're super excited about because he brings a whole lot of uh, experience, not only just in training at a high level, but race experience, uh, experience going through the junior development uh, route, which is a big deal, um, you know, just just tons and tons of tons of good experience. So, uh, Johnny, you know, kind of give us a, just kind of a quick rundown of your your life as a cyclist from the start to to right now. Yeah, um, a quick little rundown is I've known um, these guys now for probably 10, 11 years. Um, so I started racing when I was 10, um, kind of, built up through the junior ranks um a couple time junior national champion went to the world championships as a junior and then from there moved on to a professional u23 team um and then slowly been building on my professional rank since then so what was your um like kind of going through the junior ranks um you know you were on hot tubes what what like what what was kind of the route there from being on hot tubes and then what, what teams were you on after that? 
after Hot Tubes, um, I joined a U23 team called Hoggins Berman Action. Um, so it's the premier U23 team in the world. Axel Merckx, Eddie Merckx's son runs that team. Um, and a lot of riders have gone through the squad. Um, Grand Tour Grand Tour stage winners, World Tour riders. Um, right now, they out of all U23 teams, they have the highest amount of riders in the World Tour. Um, so I joined them and I did my whole U23 career with them. So I did four years. And then after that, um, kind of as I was exiting is when the whole thing with COVID started happening. So things kind of didn't take the turn I was hoping. Um, and then I joined an Irish continental team called Evo Pro. Um, and I, I was with them for two years. And now going into this year for 2022, um, I'm going to be just racing solely in the U.S. now for a team called Miami Blazers. Yeah, and that's something we're going to want to ask more about and find out more about what you're doing with the uh, with the Miami Blazers. So I know there was people that had questions on that. Um, so yeah, here here in a little bit towards the end of this, after we talk more about your coaching stuff, we want to dive into uh, to this year, this season, what you're excited about. Um, but let's let's kind of dive into the coaching side of things. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about your coaching history. Obviously you just came on board with us. Uh, what past couple months? Yeah. Um, you're going to be a huge asset for us, but just kind of talk about some of the coaching you've done. I know you've worked with juniors, um, but you've also worked with the time crunch folks that, that, uh, that we're used to working with a lot. So just dive into that a little bit for us. Yeah. Um, I've kind of always, loved the coaching aspect especially for since i was a premier junior um i kind of knew a bit of what it takes if that's the goal and even just to um be the the best junior you can um so a a couple years ago i decided to start helping juniors and start coaching them um and that's kind of how it first started with my my coaching as i was helping juniors out and I, I loved working with them. And then as time progressed, I also um, started getting some other clients. Um, like you said, the the time crunch people. Um, but ultimately, I still do do love working with younger kids and helping them achieve their goals. Yeah, it's kind of the, you know, that's without the junior development routes, you know, the American cycling, like, professional cycling kind of starts to die off. So it's extremely, you know, uh, important work in my, in my opinion, uh, to keep, to keep kids, uh, progressing and then just getting more kids in the sport. I mean, without the, the constant flow of, of kids into the sport, there's going to be no juniors, going to be no professionals that are prepared to race at the highest level. Well, I think that's one thing you and I are like super excited about with having uh, Johnny on board with us is he's going to bring this unique perspective, you know, having raced from 10 years old till now, but also having worked with, you know, your, your high level, elite level uh, coaches. So, you know, he's, he's coming from programs, very established, well-known, longtime uh, coaches um, and programs and for any junior that's wanting to, to you know, gets interested in cycling, shows they have some potential, uh, the insight that, that Johnny is going to be able to have 
not only from his own experience, but also pulling from the experience of those who make a living out of developing juniors uh, is going to be is going to be great. So I think that's that's something that we're excited about seeing grow. And I know Johnny that that you're excited about that also. Johnny, has there has there been anything thus far in uh, in the coaching side of things that you maybe were a little surprised about or uh, was maybe harder than you thought? Um, surprised. Keeping people motivated. Hot quiz, hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> I being a yeah keep. Keeping people consistent, and motivated, because um, I'm a very motivated person. Um, so that, and I definitely am one that, if I have my goal, I'm, I'm definitely gonna do everything in my power to achieve that goal. Um, so, at first, like getting into the coaching thing, especially when I was working, when I'm working with juniors and they have this goal of I want to do this. And then all of a sudden they don't ride their bike for like a week. And you're like, well, I, I thought you had this goal of doing this, like, what are we doing type thing. So that, that was definitely, or still is something that's um, hard for me to, to figure out sometimes. The best way to motivate people um, to keep them on track to, to reach what they want to reach. Yeah, for sure. That is, uh, you know, that it's not just juniors. That's, you know, that's, life in general and and i think you coming from a background where that was your life your job your you know everything you know it putting it into perspective where you add in well now you have a kid and you have uh other other work as well so you know it's you're kind of getting it now whereas you know kind of grew up having all the freedom and time to put everything towards your goals and now having to factor in the other aspects of life, uh, you kind of realize where some of the challenges and pinch points come in. Um, but yeah, that's a that's an ongoing thing for us too, is just learning how to keep each person motivated because not everybody is motivated by the same things. Oh, that's um, a massive part. Coach Johnny and I, you know, we're part of the way we're, we're setting things up. Johnny's um, helping me he's he's going to be coach he's coaching his own folks uh, but the main thing he's obviously going to be working on this on the cycling side of things uh, and he and I have been having you know two time per week calls and when we're going through folks a big a big part of it is and it's like we talk about on the podcast all the time like consistency how how do you keep someone consistent when there is all the extra life stuff going on because it's that one workout that maybe you hit some of uh, versus skipping completely that can make a big difference in whether or not you achieve that that long-term goal or not. And, uh, you know, so that's that's always an area of focus. It's like a perfect program can be written out, but that if it's not something a person can actually hit based on their life schedule, it's it's not the perfect program. So kind of making those tweaks... Um, having the extra conversations, the coaching is so much more than just writing a plan. It's all the, the extra stuff, taking to account recovery, sleep, nutrition, life stress, family stuff, schedules changing, like all of that stuff. I'd be interested to hear, Johnny, like how has, and maybe it hasn't, but uh, ever since you've had a kid, you know, you're married now, have had a kid, that's all happened, what, in the last couple of years. 
Has um, stuff changed? Has your perspective changed? Or have you become more motivated uh, after that, you know, from a, from a cycling standpoint? Because you're still very much, you know, I know you have big goals from, a, from the cycling world. So kind of jump into that for us. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say, like, prior to all this, um, it was pretty easy for me to just hit the workout. What I had in for the week, for the next two weeks, was kind of no big deal. I can get that done, no, no problem. Um, so I went and talked to my coach and over a lot. Like, we would, I'd comment on Training Peaks and he would comment back um, and all that stuff. But, like, one-on-one conversation, like, I need to switch this or do this didn't happen that much but over the last year and a half two years um i've definitely had to a lot of rearranging a lot lot of communication with my coach of just life happening sometimes um and just having to to rearrange because as you were just saying there you can build out that perfect what perfect schedule what you think is perfect but um things happen in life um that it needs to get changed and that is where it is key to having a good coach that is communicative um and you guys have a good relationship of of getting things changed and then optimizing the best you can yeah there's uh the the perfect program is the one that you can get done that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much it so yeah, the one that get done that keeps you motivated right yeah. and i guess motivation is kind of a uh, we should d- dive into that someday like if you're relying on motivation to get you through every week and every workout and you're just going to wake up motivated, that's not going to happen. No. I mean, at, no. at, at some point in time, you have to realize that, yeah, there's going to be days that, that suck that you don't want to do something and you got to do it. And that's where you think about your long-term goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it sort of reminded me, hey, Johnny, did you ever see the uh, that YouTube video where it's like the director sportif that's in like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Belgium or something. To... It's like this cold, rainy, miserable day. And he's and yelling at the Junior kid. Comes back to the car and is complaining about being cold. And the 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 car director is like, "The sport Suck sucks." Yeah, yeah. Get back up there and ride harder. Do you ever have yeah. a moment like that? I've, I've <laughs> plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, like literally, like five days ago when it was like forty degrees and raining. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, the mo- I mean. Yeah, there's a whole podcast on motivation here. Uh, Brewing. Discipline versus motivation versus, yeah, that's where having the goal is so key, right? Like, and, and part of the big steps we have when we're bringing on a new athlete is what are your goals? What are your short-term? What are your intermediate? And what's your long-term goal? And, you know, us as coaches, we're looking at, okay, we're, what we do in, over the next three months we want to help you achieve that that short-term goal. But we also want to be looking down the road. Like our plan is not for you to to achieve a goal in three months and bag the sport and be out of here. Yeah. Like we want to think about, okay, where, where are you going to be long-term and how are we going to adjust? What may be best short-term may not be best long-term. And so adjusting your program, and it may mean, pumping the brakes a little bit more. You know, if you're new yep. to the sport and you have a, a goal race in three months, but we want you in two years to be progressing, staying healthy, staying, you know, continuing to improve, we, we're, we're going to be more conservative with your with your program than what you might get on a, you know, a pre-built 12-week, I'm going to do the advanced plan because I want to be as fit as I can be. 
um, we're going to be more conservative with that. So kind of thinking about you, where you're at now, but also long-term is, is hugely yeah. important. I just had a conversation yesterday. Well, yesterday and blood into this morning, uh, one of our athletes who, uh, isn't necessarily a, a racer, uh, or doesn't race at all. And, uh, mainly it was a, a using cycling as a weight loss, you mm-hmm. know, way to weight loss. And he set this big goal and was like locked into it and achieved it. And I mean, literally dropped like 50 pounds over, you know, several months. And then it's like the, he got there, he's looking great, feeling great, riding really strong. But, you know, and, but now it's like, a, well, what the heck do we do now? Mm-hmm. Like we, we reached this big, crazy goal. I'm feeling good, uh, but I don't know what to do now. You know, and then it's, you, you know, you even kind of lose focus at that point and maybe your routines change. Like you, you're, you get out of a routine that you were in and, you know, for weight wise, you know, maybe the weight starts sneaking back on mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people just have to have that, have to have that goal and it can't be like the little, little stuff. It has to be like a big epic thing to motivate motivate them to do the work day after day. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, Johnny, what's goes, your what's that big, big, exciting goal that you've got? Well, I was going to jump back onto that. No matter what, whether you're professional or something as losing weight, um, it goes for everyone. Like professional athletes, and the same thing. Like once you achieve that goal, it's having to. It's hard for everybody to then sit down and refocus and then figure out like what is my next goal now? Like I achieved this big, great thing that I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. what, what am I going for now? Because then no matter where you're at in your, um, in this journey, it, it, it's hard for it, for everybody to sit down and kind of find that focus again. And it's easy to kind of just relax the shoulders. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, six months, a year down the road, you're like, what was I kind of doing type thing? Um, yeah, for sure. It, it goes, it goes for everybody. Um, so once you achieve those goals, it's almost like give yourself a week, maybe to be like, Oh, it's week, two weeks. Like I, I achieved that great, but now I need to sit down and really figure out what's my next, if that's what drives you, what's my next goal? Because it's going to be easy to, to lose focus. For sure. So, um, kind of just to change gears a little bit, what, uh, you know, as far as the, the coaching side of things, what like excites you the most about um, just jumping in and, and becoming a coach and trying to kind of make that more of a long-term uh, like a long-term goal for you is, you know, to transition eventually from a professional athlete to a coach. Kind of, I mean, literally what we were just talking about helping people achieve the goals that they have, whether that's, um, Winning, say, state four, state champs, cat four road race, or losing fifty pounds. Um, I definitely get a lot of joy out of helping people achieve the goals that they want and keeping them on track. Yeah, I mean that's a a huge part of coaching. If you don't like helping people, you might as well just mm-hmm. not, not even not, not even try. Uh, you know, that's you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, they're 
successes and their joys become your successes and your joys. And then at the same time, the opposite goes, the opposite is true as well. When a goal goes sideways or, you know, something comes in or in a lot of these people, you get to know them so well that, you know, even their, some of their personal things that they share with you, you know, you kind of hold that on your shoulders a little bit while you're making their program and trying to keep everything in their life balanced. So yeah, if you, if you don't enjoy helping people (laughs) coaching, not for you. Yeah, no, I think, I think one of the other exciting things is there are so many goals, but you could take two people with the exact same goal, but they may have totally different life schedules and, and that's a different program. Uh, they may have totally different motivation levels, and that's a different program. They may be physiologically totally different. You know, one may handle the high-end stuff a lot better, and the other likes the the longer, steadier stuff. Uh, and and there's just there is no you can you can read research uh, study after research study, but at the end of the day, there is a lot of of uh, I, I guess the science side, but then also accounting for all of those other variables in a control. What happens in a controlled environment is not necessarily anywhere close to what happens over the course of a, of an eight month training program with an athlete who's got three kids who has a stressful job who, you know, there's, has to travel who like, there's just so many external factors. And as a coach trying to like, put that puzzle together to, to help them not only improve as an athlete, but also to make sure that, that their athletic goals are making them better in all the other areas of their life versus providing another stress point for them um, is something that I find super interesting. Uh, and, it, and it keeps each week uh, interesting as a result. Yeah, for sure. I, we have had the conversation multiple times about if we could figure out how to assign a TSS score to life stresses, like that would be amazing because that would help, you know, looking at the metrics inside training peaks and stuff like that. When you're watching the data change and the trends happen, mm-hmm. you know, if you could just factor in those things, like it would be so much easier. But yeah, you, like whoop but is, you, can't. you know, whoop and aura and all those new tracking devices are trying, you know, they're trying to do that. Yeah. But even different people, stress impacts them. Handles it differently, handle it different. right? Yeah. So there's like your body may not be showing the results. You may not be having heart rate values that are changing or sleep cycles that are different. But it could be impacting you mentally uh, during your workouts. And so you're not getting nearly as much out of it. So there's just so much to that performance puzzle that, that it keeps things interesting and keeps coaches, us, us as coaches, growing. For sure. So should we change should we change hands to what people are probably jumped on the podcast to actually hear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should probably do that eventually. Okay. All right. So in part two, uh, <laughs> tomorrow we're coming at you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Psych. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. So we well, obviously, you know, um, you know, Johnny is the youngest ever professional national champion, United States national champion, couple of uh, junior national championships under his belt, uh, has raced against the best in the world, uh, several, you know, all over the world. Uh, so has a pretty tour of Utah to tour yeah. of California, like some of these big, 
big events. Yeah. Johnny was actually telling me how wrecked he was. Wasn't it? Was it after Tour <laughs> California that you were wrecked? Probably the hardest day I've ever had on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we want to just jump in, you know, to your professional career a bit and uh, get some insights. I think people are real interested in, to kind of hear, uh, you know, sh- straight from the horse's mouth on on how you know, just kind of ideas into the professional cycling life and then, uh, you know, what you're up to, you know, coming up. So like what, uh, let's just, I'll just jump into a question from, from the socials here. From the socials. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what is your worst race experience, uh, or moment or conditions or, uh, I don't know if we we already alluded to that, but we talked uh, about uh, Tom Demelens yesterday or uh, on the last podcast yeah. uh, when when he was in the Giro and had a had a bowel <laughs> issue. You, have you had Ooh. any of those, Johnny? I have not had that. <laughs> See, this is a hard one because he he asked like three different things. So I have I kind of have one. Okay, like let's go one. experience. Worst experience. Worst experience. Um. Well. It'd probably be last year in 21, um, we did a race called Skeldeprise. Um, pretty much it's a world tour race. We were the only continental team there. So it's, definitely, it's a very windy spring race. Um, it's known for crosswinds and just being horrible. Um, and quick step, we literally started and within five kilometers into the race, um, you turn into the crosswind and quick step hit it already, of course. And we were in, they did what they do. Yeah. We were in a million different pieces. Um, but then anyways, we, the team did not do great. (laughs) We were in the third group and they only, we finished on like, it was three circuits and we did like one circuit and then, um, the final two groups, which was only like 40 people still racing, they let keep racing and then they pulled all the rest. So we pretty much did the whole race. Um, but then our team, who was, we'll call them very old school, decided since we were so bad, we needed to ride home back to where we were staying. So we had already raced oh, roughly about 190 kilometers um, and our house was 100 kilometers away. So we pretty much did the whole race besides like it was the last 20 kilometers of the race. And it's not like we were bad, bad. We were still like 40 people finished the race. And it was in the spring and it was about 40 degrees and they made us ride home another three hours. <laughs> that was probably so my worst day was that, like a 180 mile day? Yeah, it was almost 300K. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> So that was probably my my worst experience. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, there you go. So what about uh, worst moment? If there's a different one. Um. Well, worst moment was uh, probably this tour of California. Um. I did it in 2019, and I don't remember the stage. Let's see. It was eight days or seven days. It was coming into the last days. So we finished up Mount Baldy. Um. And the day before, I was in the break all day, and we were on Highway 1 for 220K with a headwind. Um, so all oh, day, 
in the break. Literally, we went, it was like kilometer zero, the break went. And then we had a headwind the whole way down Highway 1. Um, so then, of course, naturally, I'm pretty wrecked. And then the next day, we did Mount Baldy. Um, and we started directly up um, a climb that we would go up and then you descend down, loop around, go back up this climb to bring you to Mount Baldy. Um, and we'll just say like 20 minutes into the race, we hit the climb and I was not feeling great. And I, I literally was like the first dude drop. There was four of us then. Oh, no. And we're like not even an hour in and we reached the top of the climb and it's like, oh boy, like we still got to like loop around, do the climb again and then also do Mount Baldy, which is like one of the toughest climbs in the US. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so that, but by the time I finished that day, I made time cut by 20 seconds, but I finished. <laughs> but by, I have never been like more demolished mentally and physically than by the end of that day. <laughs> So what is going through your mind when you're 20 minutes into how long was that stay? I mean, it had to have been a, a pretty, well, like duration wise had to have been a long stage. Like what's going through your mind? Yeah. Like literally I'm like, well, it's one of those, like, do I even finish? Like, should I just pull out type thing? Um, but it was one of those, like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to pull out. Like I, I contemplated, we went through the feed zone and actually two of the dudes that were in my group did decide to just pull the plug um, and say like, screw this, like we're, we're kind of done because um, it was that it was that day and then there, there was one other day but it, at the moment I'm like, well, I'm going to still at least try to finish and um, yeah. hope to finish, the, finish this race out. Um, but when I hit Baldy and Baldy gets really steep and you hear the broom wagon right behind you and you know you're so <laughs> far back um and in these big races there's always two team cars so i i had a team car with me and he was giving me updates like going up the climb like dude like you gotta you gotta hustle because you're floating with, with time limit so you might finish but then you might not even make the time limit so you still might not even be able to start the next day um yeah it, i mean it, it's a definitely a, a mental battle um when you you got literally nothing inside you, but you're and you're 30, 40 minutes behind the winners. Um, and these days yeah. are always hard because as you're going up the final climb, they, they don't let the buses or any of that go to the top. So the riders will ride down to wherever the buses are parked. So you're you're I'm starting the climb, um, and the leaders are already down. Just watching the people bus zoom get changed. By. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, wow. it's so pretty, at, that, at that point, like, are you? And <laughs> we don't need to get too deep into this, but are you just riding off feel? Are you trying to look at power, or is it like, you know, was Pat? Were you still riding good power, or, or, or mentally, you're like, I don't even want to see my power because it's a lot lower than I know I can hold because I'm so wrecked, not only from today but also from yesterday's breakaway. And you know, so kind of, how are you? How are you managing that? Because I've always wondered this. You know, you watch the big. Tour de France and stuff like that, where they they cut to the people that are in that uh, gruppetto trying to make trying to make the time cut. But like, kind of what? How how are you managing that whole thing? Like for me on this day in particular, it was just literally trying to do another pedal stroke. Like you got this one, keep going. Because I was, um, I definitely under ate the day before, and then this day you're. So I was so focused on even just trying to like pedal almost and you're, I'm forgetting to eat and I'm so kind of delirious. 
mm-hmm. so it was like I'm going we'll call it quote unquote just all out but power would was now <laughs> I you can't even look at power because it's you're literally just trying to do each pedal stroke um, especially up baldy because gotcha. it's so steep um, yeah yeah I I remember because when I reached the last kilometer you can kind of get a gauge of um, time cut because well I kind of already had a gauge but at that point my director came in the radio and was like you have x amount of time to do this last kilometer and i also i had a there was five of us then at this point and i i I had a teammate that also like literally exploded and was with me and he like (laughs) had a little bit more and he took off and i was still like trying to sprint in this last kilometer like i got x amount of time to be there and i know how long a kilometer takes and i'm like floating floating right now of even making time cut um I am. I made it. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. The that it sounds like a horrible mental battle uh, in the last last kilometer there. Yeah. Uh, so what about uh, conditions? We don't have to go too deep into it, but worst uh, conditions you've ever experienced? It was a race. I was sixteen um, in Vermont in May. Um, and it midway through the race, it started like full on snowing on us. Um, and it snowed so much then that day in May that we opened the ski resort where we were staying. <laughs> so that was probably the worst day condition wise. That sounds awful. Yeah. But it was a downhill sprint. I got second on junior gears. That's because just because I was so cold. I literally, I remember I was going as hard as I could just to finish and I, I somehow got second <laughs> there we go That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so uh one of the other questions uh was what's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome kind of in your professional career um kind of actually the last two years um have been they, they were definitely tough um went from a premier team um kind of on top of the world there for a bit being the youngest national champ um had a lot of things going my way and then i i definitely messed some things up you can call messed up whatever but um things just didn't go my way over the last like two years um so that's that that was definitely it was tough over the last bit kind of actually refocusing my goals and, and figuring out um kind of where i fit and getting that figured out i mean this has got to be and you you hear about it like anytime a season ends you have sponsors that collapse you know at the pro at the pro level teams that have been around for years disappear and suddenly you have all these racers trying to find out okay what's the what's the new team where can i get a contract what team has openings like this has got to be you know us as non-professionals, there's always like you look at it and you go, oh man, it seems like such a glorious life uh, to be able to, to ride and race your bike. But on the flip side, it's got to be, go back to you know some of the races where the conditions are horrible. It's okay for us to drop out. It's not okay <laughs> for the pro to drop out, right? Like, but then just, just the, the unknown of 
of what's going to happen. The people that play for the Yankees aren't worrying about whether or not the New York Yankees are going to collapse at the end of the year and they're going to have to find a new team just because the team no longer exists. So, I mean, I uh, I can see that being such a stressful thing. And this year, actually, is a prime example for that. Um, one of the big World Tour teams didn't find a sponsor. And there's still, I think it's like 12 riders um, that don't have anything now. Um, mm-hmm. It's not lack of not being a good rider. There's some very solid riders um, that all of a sudden, what, what am I doing kind of type of thing. Especially if it's like I've been doing this for a long time and then all of a sudden you're just um, in, in, in an unknown, especially for foreign riders that travel to Europe to race. Um, you kind of start creating like this whole little life and then to have it like essentially ripped out from under you, you get kind of, it's it's hard and confusing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's easy. I, I, I expect or suspect it's, it's easy to kind of get, uh, you know, not calloused, but a, a, a negative uh, attitude toward professional racing and, and, you know, just because that stuff happens all the time it is so common uh for for like you said teams to collapse people not to you know to get picked up people who you think are extremely great riders to get dropped from teams or pick you know not picked up by other teams and like uh, it with no real good explanation yeah it's yeah, just, and, and totally a sport of of well you hear it all the time it's like not what have you done for me before it's what have you done for me lately typically right like you're not constantly winning uh i've always thought like how hard it would be to be a domestique where you're not bringing a bunch of sponsorship time you know you're not on the camera a ton yet you're fulfilling a very role uh, important role for the person who is going to do that later on in a race so like you bring a ton of value from a team standpoint but essentially the sponsors are the ones that are that are paying the paying the money, right? So it's like, do you have any any insight into that whole thing, Johnny? Is that something you've noticed, or you know, if 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 you're to think of yourself, uh, or or how would you label yourself? I guess as a um, the style of rider that you would be. Are you someone who's kind of looking to be more of that that overall? Or are you more the domestique role? Are you like the the one day classics guy? Are you the get in the break and roll it kind of person? Pack sprinter? Like what? How, how do you label yourself? Good question. Um, I would call myself... The good question. Yeah, I, I would definitely call myself probably more domestique style a lot of times um, mm-hmm. with the occasional big win. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the. Are you like the Macarena? You're gonna. I'm gonna come with some some number one hits, and then you. <laughs> yeah, pretty you much. A few more years, I'll drop another one. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, is that is that something that like do you do you enjoy that role? I mean, um, yeah, I um, I do enjoy kind of because a lot of times what people don't understand is like say even like the top domestique is kind of even the leader 
Um, everyone kind of quote unquote thinks like the guy winning is leader leader, but up until the end, sometimes even like the domestique is the one keeping everything in order along with the ultimate um, guy going for the results. Um, so I, I do naturally kind of fall into that role sometimes. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely do enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, that uh, makes a lot of sense that the, the, uh, the one essentially doing a huge amount of work would be the one, you know, kind of controlling the pace and, and making sure that everyone else is doing what they're supposed to. And then also protecting the, the, the chosen person on mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, one of the other main questions, which is something that we get asked about a lot when you are the only one qualified to answer this, <laughs> uh, what, like, has there been any difference or what's been the major difference in your training from kind of, uh, early years? I mean, I would, I, we can't even really there was never really a time when you were like amateur aside from like when you were re- really young, but aside from Tiger Lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, has there been any major changes? Like when you've gotten into the professional ranks, like what, what about your training had changed the most? Um, pro- I mean, it actually took me even a little bit into U23 was in juniors and it is something that I kind of um, try to tell the juniors too is when you're under 18 a lot of it's just consistency but then having fun too I mean um, you're young there's no reason to really take it really too too serious and I definitely filled that role pretty big so I as a junior like I, I took it serious but Um, I was definitely going to the cafe and eating cake and not training a a whole ton. And I kind of took that a little too far into U23 though too. Um, And it showed like my first two years, I thought I could still like (laughs) do do anything and not really ride a whole lot. Um, And now I'm racing against... What what is ride a whole lot? (laughs) Um, Like volume wise. Like I was used to doing like eight to twelve hours would be like I'll do the winter a lot. Um, you heard it first. Then, you heard it first. Uh, <laughs> amateur athletes. Um, <laughs> eight to twelve and, is a lot yeah. to, to win well, some then, junior national titles. And then, um, yeah, I entered U twenty three pro ranks and then was doing big races, and I'm racing against world tour riders that are, <laughs> have been have been pros for like 10 years and i'm over here trying to do like 12 hours um it, it didn't work out so good did so w- yeah when did you actually realize that was there like a oh crap like i am yeah i am not um, where my training is not where it needs to be was there like one instance where you showed up to mm-hmm. a race or maybe like a team camp or something like that where you're like oh geez i gotta i gotta take this up and i gotta dial in every aspect of performance in order well, to be on, um, you know, on the level I know I need to be at. Entering my third year as a U23, so the year that I won nationals is when I really like 
figured out like, okay, I, I got to definitely change some things and start up in um, volume and all of that. And it showed through 2018 then. Um, I mm-hmm. definitely made a very big progression um, compared to the first two years at CU23. Um, yeah, 2018, besides my, I won nationals that year, but I also had some other good results um and it all it kind of was because of what happened through the winter time definitely figured out that volume volume is key for sure and so what are you like what are you kind of aiming for these days um well now things are switching a little so i've brought volume down a tiny bit compared but um, anywhere between that 18 to 25 range. Gotcha. Which I guess segues a, a little bit. There's still a few more questions from the social here, but that kind of segues a little bit, uh, into, you know, what are the, what are the big goals this year? Tell us a little bit more about your team, uh, what that team's focusing on, uh, and, and just kind of give us that, that, uh, that input, the inside scoop on, uh, on what, is going on this year for you yeah um i'm definitely really excited for this year um mason for it's going to be a brand new team called miami blazers um so we're going to be we're essentially like a where we are a miami team um and the whole goal is inclusion um cycling we're definitely um cycling is predominantly white as a lot of us know. Um, and as we've seen with the Legion of Los Angeles team out of LA, um, they've really opened the arms to inclusion and it's kind of changing the sport in America. Um, and we are kind of, we're in Miami and we'll definitely be more um, Hispanic based. Um, so that's like the ultimate goal for the team right there is um, trying to, we'll call it open our arms to, to other ethnicities and show that cycling is an inclusive sport. Um, so that's the, the ultimate goal for the team. Um, for myself, I think, uh, or the ultimate goal is, is nationals again this year for me. That's going to be like my quote unquote biggest goal. Um, yep. so that's not necessarily maybe win again, but, um, in 21, I, kind of with all the adversity that I had through the year, I still had a pretty good result. Messed some things up in the race, but I still showed that I can be very competitive at nationals. Um, so to be competitive at that race, um, and we're doing mainly crits, which is going to be different for me than I'm used to. So honestly, a lot of it for me for this year in particular, um, I know I can do well in US road races and things like that, but it's going to be, one of my one of the, my biggest goals is just learning a new style of races and, and new races. Um, so that that's kind of my my ultimate goal for the year um, with doing this new for me new scene of crits and everything is figuring out my kind of my role in in that. Which I you know that's uh, something we've talked about uh, on on some of the other podcasts and Dale and I have discussed it a lot you know not on podcasts just in casual conversation is you know we both feel that the U.S. scene is going more towards crit racing last year 
USA Crits had uh, you know, televised events. There was a series that was together. Uh, that all got kind of jacked up. You know, it was one of the most exciting things for me was the USA Crit series and kind of how that was going. We won't dive into the fact that, uh, you know, there's been quite a few ra uh, races that have pulled themselves out of the USA Crits due to the guy who was uh, in charge of that and his past. Um, but tell us what, like, what, what big races are, uh, is your team targeting and, um, you know, what do you view as the U.S. cycling scene right now? Is it is it going to stay more crit focused? Is it going to go more, you know, where we're going to have some of these tour Californias, Colorado, Utah uh, popping back up? Like, how do you how do you view the whole thing going based on, you know, your your insight here? Yeah, um, if things keep going in the trend they're going, I think crits are kind of our future in America. Um We've seen with like Justin Williams and Corey Williams with like Into the Lion's Den crit. Um, and I know their ultimate goal is to start getting more of those too. Um, gotcha. And then even races like Athens Twilight, Tulsa Tough, um, they're big races. And I, I think people have kind of realized um, it's cheaper to put on. For one, you're closing a lot smaller of an area it's definitely a lot more accessible. Um, you yeah. can put them in, in places of cities um, and bring in a lot of people. Um, and also kind of going back, it is a lot more inclusive. Um, you can bring the family um, and it can definitely bring in a lot more money to cities than a road race in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, I know there's nothing my wife loves more than going to Podunk Nowhere and standing around in a feed zone for three hours to see me ride by one time and hand me bottles that I usually miss. That is the ultimate joy right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know you got a keeper. Yeah. She's, she's willing to stand in a feed zone for three or four hours and, and throw bottles at you. Uh, you better put a ring on it. Yeah. So are those are those the big races you're seeing, or are there others that have popped? So for those not familiar with the with the Lions Den race, that was one that got put on late season. It was in Sacramento, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. Big money, hundred thousand dollar payout, fifty thousand equal to the men's and the women's. You were at that, right, Johnny? But are there yeah. more of those that you know of? Uh, do Do you view you know Athens Twilight's been around forever? Is that like a big target? Um, Tulsa Tough, obviously a massive crit race uh, as well that's been around for a super long time. Like, what are the big ones that, that you guys are seeing um, that are definites on your calendar? Um, and are there more that are popping up that, uh, that you know, maybe we don't know about yet? Give us the, yeah. give us the, the um, intel here. I think Tulsa will probably be one of the biggest goals for the team. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of... Some of the races are still kind of figuring out with like the whole USA crits ordeal and everything. Um, USA Cycling announced like a six, I think a six series race, series two that like Tulsa will be a part of. Um, and a lot of those races that are part of USA crits are kind of falling under this USA Cycling series that they're going to do now. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, hopefully for 22 none of the big races kind of got affected by that 
USA Critch thing. It sounds like almost all of them will just be either independent or part of this USA cycling series. Um, and then, I mean, if Justin's goal of creating more line stands happen, um, that's going to be also huge for US cycling. Um, and it sounds like, and, I, and I'm hopeful that his his trend does start taking off because um, Lion's Den was definitely, it was awesome. It was huge experience and I, I had tons of fun. Yeah, the the it's kind of like what they're trying to do with the Professional Triathletes Organization. They're trying to put together these races that have big prize purses so that, you know, the all you guys who are trying to make a living from professional cycling in America uh, actually have some opportunities to uh, make a decent amount of money in one shot uh, or, you know, like a six race series where if you guys do well in all six, you know, you can essentially make your living, make your salary for the year. Um, you know, and with a lot of those opportunities disappearing, you know, the big road races or stage races and stuff that have kind of disappeared over the years, like there's just far fewer opportunities to make a living as a continental pro. So, I mean, I think it's great what they're doing and hopefully, yeah, hopefully the trend keeps up and some, uh, some big sponsors step up and, and pony up for some, uh, some big prize purses. Cause it's, yeah, it and- is crit racing. is just like, it is so spectator friendly and it's, it's, it's action packed. Like, like you said, easier to put on less, less roads to close. And then, you know, the, the economic impact for the city is so much greater because you're spending time in like one little area. Uh, and you know, most people will like come into the city, stay in the city, eat in the city. Like it's just, it's just a much bigger impact. I mean, Tulsa tough is, is a prime example of that. Um, look how many people are at each night, how many people are traveling in from all over the country. So you're having, people driving and flying in and not only is like the pro race packed but every category through the whole day is sold out um and that's that's a lot of people in in tulsa coming in spending money in their city and then all the fans that are and spectators coming out every day watching um that it brings in a lot more than as we literally said going to two hours south of Tulsa <laughs> some random place starting in a church parking lot <laughs> yeah because usually you're trying to find the spot that has the least amount of residences mm-hmm. people yeah. businesses like most road races in America you're trying to find the least populated area because then it's the least <laughs> impact on the mm-hmm. area less risk, less cars, less everything, uh, which is totally the opposite of what makes things exciting from a spectator right. standpoint. I do have to give Tulsa a shout out because they have they have kind of figured out that these bigger events really do bring in a lot of money to the city because they just recently added a full iron mm-hmm. full iron man uh, in Tulsa in May. Um, so I mean they're they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, you know put all that together if they didn't realize how much it actually impacts the city uh you know on an economic level yeah for sure hey have you done have you done Tulsa stuff before 
I actually haven't ever done it because it's always um, in a time that I'm still normally in Europe um, right before I come back for nationals. So that's in the past since um, even for a really long time, even as a junior, um, I only do or I've only done normally like between we'll call it two to eight races a year in America. Um, And that's kind of like showing up to the local tiger lane or anything um i don't i I don't do or i haven't been able to do many um so i'm like really excited to be at these races next or this year um that was one of the things somebody asked me the other day is it's exciting to know like there is the opportunity now for americans to race in america make money for a living because literally for years now um if you're not racing in europe it's like are you even pro like if you're in the u.s it was like well that guy just who cares but now it's we're seeing that trend of oh sweet like young riders can stay in america now and make a living and race in america which is awesome yeah that's that's what that's what we need i mean Mm -hmm. that's where we need to take it so that we can, uh, you know, eventually have some, some really good riders on the, the highest level, the grand tour level and the, you know, to represent the U S in at worlds and, and all that stuff. What is, and this just kind of popped into my head here. What is your input on the gravel scene? So you've got quite a few, you know, pros that are retiring or pros that, um, you know, have, instead of being on this, end of each year. I don't know if my contract's going to get renewed and they've kind of gone almost into business for themselves really, and are getting picked up and becoming sponsored and, and just focusing primarily on, on the gravel scene, which seems to be growing year after year. Um, and you've got more big name people, retired European pros that are coming. You know, last year you had some of the quick step guys that came over and did, uh, did the shorter Kansas, the Belgian waffle, Kansas ride. Like what, what is your viewpoint on that whole thing? The gravel scene. Um, is that something you're wanting to dip your toes in at all? Are you 100% road crit? Uh, you know, is that, is that your area of focus or, or where are you at there? Well, literally before we kind of changed, um, over, I was going to say on the contrary about being in the middle of nowhere is, is gravel. Um, because those are normally in the middle of nowhere, um, and they are bringing in a lot of money to these really small cities, um, which is, it's such a mass crowd coming that um, these small cities are hard stoked to have all this money come in. Um, so that that was kind of on the contrary to us saying that road racing right? yeah. doesn't bring, bring anything into those places. Um, gravel though, I mean, now that the u.s doesn't have many road races and stuff um i i do like road racing is kind of what i'm better at versus just already knowing like crits i'm definitely going to be better at road races so i would i would like to maybe go to a few gravel events um because they still fall into that quote-unquote road racing ish um they're still definitely mm-hmm. longer and it's different but um, yeah, I would enjoy doing some. Would I enjoy doing like 
Unbound, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I definitely do not want to. Ten, ten plus hours. Yeah, that that doesn't sound that fun to me, to be honest. <laughs> um, That'll take you back to your day where you uh, you guys didn't finish that final circuit and had to ride home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, li- literally <laughs> though. Hundred K. Um, but going to like pros, X World Tour riders now doing gravel, um, kind of the way sponsorship and the way companies are spending their money is changing a bit. Um, it is definitely a lot better for a company to sponsor X rider and they're getting so much exposure out of it versus giving 10 times as much money to a team and maybe not even getting half the amount of exposure. Um, so that's kind of the way gravel now has grown so much and these riders are able to make a living out of it and not even world yeah. tour pros there's plenty of people that quote unquote we'll call we had no idea about um that have really built um built a lot of uh, built something out of it and really take not taken advantage but have figured out how um to really grow and now they ride um well whatever you want to call them full-time riders and they might not even be quote-unquote racing these races but um they're still sponsored athletes and then they're creating content and showing the brands that um are sponsoring them um so yeah sponsorship is kind of changed especially in the u.s is changing the way it's viewed and the way companies are spending their money now yeah i think i think you know, Red Bull figured that out years ago. Oh, sure. They, yeah. they have, uh, you know, they, you don't see them sponsoring any major teams, but there are tons and tons of individual high-level athletes out there rocking those Red Bull helmets, uh, you know, and they do their crazy events and stuff like that. But, you know, they've, they kind of figured out a long time ago that the, the individuals who have a really good social media presence or you know, something like that are getting them far more, far better exposure for their dollar. The ROI is much better there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many, how many like individuals can you sponsor, you know, and those people are probably making a year salary on their Red Bull sponsorship, you know, and you know, that money, how many people would it take you know, compared to like what the average sponsorship is for like a grand tour yeah. team. Like, you know, they can 20 million for the grand tour <laughs> yeah. and they got, you know, if they took that 20 million, they got plenty of, of people out there, you know, that have, will give them more exposure. So, yeah, I think, and, I think companies like that are figuring it out. And Justin and Corey Williams are prime example of that, of um, mm-hmm. how well they've done on social media. And that's why, so many companies are willing to give them personally and legion um so much money because you even see it on world tour teams um that have millions of dollars of a budget but honestly their social media kind of sucks <laughs> Com- yeah. compared and then totally you have true. we'll call it we'll call it at first like these kind of quote-unquote random dudes out of la that were getting three ten times as many views and getting all this money but it's because they're actually um giving the sponsors exposure and doing what the sponsorship money is there for um and they they're kind of the the kings of it now and showing what the standard is 
All right, I've got one more question for you, Johnny. Uh, which crit shall we expect to see you dominating the Williams brothers in the final final sprint train? Ooh, um, we'll call it we'll call it the last day of Tulsa, Crybaby Hill. <laughs> I feel like we have a we have a we don't we have very very good sprinters, but Justin and Corey are so quick. Um. That it is hard, no matter what you do, to even if you have a better lead out, they're just so fast. Um, but Crybaby is kind of a, a bit different. We got a little hill before the last corner. We'll we'll call it that one. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, we got to kind of wrap things up. But we appreciate you uh, sitting down with us, and man, we're super excited about having you on board and and kind of seeing what what we can all do together here um but we appreciate everyone hanging out listening watching uh and we will catch you guys next time adios peace later